This morning we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 9. Now the last time, two Sundays ago, we put up some slides and we looked at an aerial view of the tabernacle and the temple. Basically, it was the place where God met man, but not without its restrictions. God fellowshiped with man in the cool of the garden, in the Garden of Eden before sin. It was a very direct, loving relationship. But when sin entered the world, death entered the world, and it caused a separation from God. So in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the Old Agreement, the Old Treaty, synonyms for that word, there was the um, temple and the tabernacle. And the priest would come in and minister, and only the high priest once a year could come into the Holy of Holies and not without blood. So God met man under this old covenant. And we talked about that. Now today, we're going to finish up the rest of Hebrews 9, and we're going to talk about understanding the signs. And when we talk about signs in the Bible, well, we can talk about his prophecies, we can talk about his word. If you're on the highway and you misunderstand a traffic sign, there could be a traffic accident. However, if you're misunderstanding what you're reading in the scripture, you could easily fall victim or pray to a cult or a spurious doctrine. And we'll talk about some of those. So understanding the signs is very important. It kind of reminds me of the, the police officer who was on highway patrol and he's in his cruiser and he's driving down the highway and everything's going good until he runs into a bunch of cars on the highway that are going real slow. So he, he looks and he goes, wow, this is not good. He drives up and, and he checks out there's one car in the front doing 22 miles an hour. So he pulls over the car. He comes up to the, the car and he notices there's five elderly women in the vehicle. And he, the, the woman, the driver's a little indignant. He's a young officer and she says, you know, young man, I was, I'm doing 22 miles an hour. I was, I was looking at the speed limit sign. Politely he says to her, I'm sorry, ma'am, but that's actually the route sign. Speed limit's 55. <laughs> <laughs> so she takes it down a little bit and she's apologetic and he says you know it's okay ma'am it's a it's a misunderstanding I'll go back to the car and, and write you a warning so he before he leaves he looks in the car and the four other ladies their hands are shaking their hair is sticking up and their eyes are bugging out and he says is there something wrong in here and the driver says embarrassedly well before we got onto 22 we were on 131 <laughs> Don't misunderstand the signs. <laughs> Verse 11. But Christ came as our high priest, as a high priest of good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer Sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. If you were here two Sundays ago, you remember me reading those verses. But Hebrews is, is, is weighty. Hebrews is heady. 
Hebrews is heavy. I say it's the nuts and bolts of John 3.16. So, you know, I try to break it up into two chapters because I don't want to cram too much information in one shot. Hebrews. He's speaking about, and here's a recap, two Sundays ago, the old covenant and the old sanctuary. The old covenant was a covenant of blood, a life for a life. Sin brought death. Blood had to be shed. That innocent animal, you know, it would be, it would be merci- mercifully uh, ki- killed, and then the blood would have to be sprinkled before the mercy seat and sprinkled on the uh, spiritual items to cover that sin, to atone for that sin, to purify and to sanctify. Under the new covenant, which we're in, it's still a covenant of blood, but not the blood of animals. The blood of innocence, of course, the blood of Christ, who shed his blood for the remission of our sins. And this sanctuary, let's compare sanctuaries. The old sanctuary, again, it was a copy. You know, God said pretty much to Moses, this is, I, I'm in heaven, and heaven is glorious. And we see a little bit of that in Revelation 4. But he says to Moses, when you worship me on earth, I want you to make a structure. And, and it's almost like it, it's a copy of my heaven. Of course, it's built with hands. It, it falls into disrepair. My heaven doesn't. But when you worship me, I want that to be a copy. So the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies, but Jesus Christ went into the throne room of God and offered his blood. He spilled his blood, and the Father accepted it. Now I want to kind of, not a disclaimer, but I want to talk a little bit about, and there's a reason why I'm going to do this. I'm an animal lover. I have, although my wife talks me into getting all these pets, okay? <laughs> but, I, but I love them. I learned to love my adopted friends. I have a, a bunny and just the bunny. I have three cats and I have two dogs and we built rock walls because I love snakes. We, we live next to like a preserve. I, you know, I know it's weird, huh? But they're so cool the way they... So I love my snakes. Um, we built... I put up bat houses for my bats. I love bats. Like, like I'm not coming to this church anymore. <laughs> I also like butterflies and, and pretty things too. <laughs> And I raise bees, okay? Although they're not animals. The thought of me having to take one of my furry friends to a stranger in a temple and having him take my little furry friend's life and spill that blood, and I'm just putting myself back there. We don't do that today, of course. Is repugnant to me. It's repulsive. And you know, as a new believer, I would read the Bible and there were things I didn't understand. But as I grew in my faith, as I grew in the study of the Word, you know, God showed me things and he made me more comfortable. And what I realized what I should be repulsed by is not what I read in the scripture. There's a reason that's there. It's because my sin is offensive to God. Even if all you people weren't here and I was the only person on earth, my sin would be so offensive it would separate me from my God. So this is the concept that we need to understand. Sin is repulsive. That's why we're in the position we're in. That's why Jesus had to die for our sin. Because God is perfect. And he can't dwell in his beautiful throne room. And, and he just, he's a God of justice. He can't coexist with sin. So Jesus had to make that sacrifice. Now if I could simplify the concept, if it helps. The innocent gives its life for the guilty. The perfect covers the corrupt. This is a legal document. 
brothers and sisters. It's a medical document. I talked to somebody about the whole leprosy, Hansen's disease, back in the Old Testament and the quarantine and the stuff. Before microbiology, how did these people know this? Because God told them. It's a, it's a historical, medical, and a legal document. And maybe if you're struggling with some of the stuff we're going to read this morning, it's because you're too used to American preaching. Western preaching has become very watered down and diluted. And then when you come to a church where they're preaching the truth out of the scripture, have a little difficulty with it. But stick with it, because God's word will start to regenerate you, and you'll grow, you'll build an understanding inside. I've read this so many times, but I, I just felt the need to stop and explain, because some people aren't at that level, and they don't understand. So I hope I'm helping in that situation. Under the new covenant, Jesus Christ gave his life. Now, whatever God does, Satan tries to imitate in a cheap way to throw people off. Yesterday when we were in the father and son, I spoke about false father figures, evil men who have masqueraded as fathers and corrupted the minds of little ones. That's what Satan does. In this situation, Satan says, human sacrifice? I like that. The Maya, the Druids, they take people against their will and they kill them. That's not what the Bible preaches. Never human sacrifices. But Jesus Christ, remember, fully God, coming as a man, fully God, fully man, he said, you know what, I'm going to offer this as my love for you. Nobody took him against his will. He went willingly. Imagine the look on the Roman soldiers' faces when all the other criminals were struggling and Jesus probably just put out his arms to be tied down. I mean, just picture that in your mind. He went willingly. His expression of love and advocacy put a stop spiritually to the animal sacrifices and there was only one sacrifice his made forever. Now, I label this under, it's too good to be true. Now, I've gotten emails personally and as a pastor. And the email, I don't, even, I don't recognize the email address. And it says, Pastor Joe of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, you're doing a great work over there. We would like to send you $1 million for your congregation. Just send us your personal information, bank account numbers and stuff. <laughs> I don't even open it. I don't look at the attachments, I just delete it, and in the deleted pile, I delete the deleted pile, because I'm thinking it's a virus or a scam. There are some things in life that are too good to be true, and I just want to help you out there. There's a lot of scams out there. If it looks like it, it probably is. So that's why, especially in New Jersey and in eastern, the eastern seaboard area, it's a, it's a hard missions field. I've got missionaries that go to other countries and say it's a lot harder in New Jersey than out here in you know, eastern Europe. Because New Jerseyans, especially this area, it is too good to be true. Are you telling me that Jesus did it all and all I have to do is believe by faith and I have this grace of God all the time? Too good to be true. And I end up spending time with them and telling, it is too good to be true. But it is. But it is. Verse 14 he says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot, to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. We have to understand the, aud the audience that this is written to. These are Hebrew Christians. These are Jewish Christians. We don't understand this largely as Gentiles. We have a few Jewish believers here, but even the Jewish believers here never had seen the temple. So we have to go back 2,000 years to kind of put ourselves in their shoes. They were still doing these rituals, and the Hebrew Christians were under persecution, under pressure. And they, they were kind of hemming and hawing about the whole Christianity because it was becoming unpopular, and they went back to Judaism. And he's saying, all those things that you did, that's under the old covenant. There's a transition here to the new covenant. 
Remember, the new covenant was spoken about in the Old Testament. Right? No separation here. Jeremiah 31 spoke about this day. But for our purposes, we can understand too that dead works don't do anything for us as Christians. It doesn't help us to serve God or even please God in any way. A lot of religion today is based on the old way, doing stuff, doing works. And sadly, it doesn't get us any closer to God. I know many people that have come out of religion and still felt empty. It's got to be from the inside. And it's not just the congregation. It's the leaders too. You find anyone who's a leader, a pastor, a clergy of any of these false doctrine ministries, what, what are the two things that always come up? A money scandal or a sex scandal? Those are the two big ones. And with the money scandals, greed, avarice is only covered by saying, well, God wants me to be rich. The prosperity gospel. That's a way to take your sin and your greed and you're removing yourself so far from the people and putting a, a doctrine on it of God and saying it's legitimate. Not so. Dead works don't save us and it doesn't cleanse our conscience. You know, Again, coming out of religion, doing dead works, people still have emotional baggage. They still have this guilt that they, they can't get rid of because the dead works won't, won't save them. It's very important to understand. Now, you could do good works... And you can go from our church to another church to a, you know, all these good goodwill places and do works. It's not going to get you any closer to God. You've got to be born of the Spirit. It has to come from the inside. Amen. Otherwise, you take the Holy Spirit out of church. You take Jesus and the blood of Christ out of church. Being born again, it's just another 501c3 business. And there's a million of them out there or a social club. For the Hebrew Christians, it was going back to temple sacrifices and observances. But for us, we still may have this mentality. I came from a big religion, and I lived like a heathen, and I didn't feel any closer to God. I wasn't closer to God. For us, it may be religious duty. Well, I haven't been to church in three weeks, so I got to go this Sunday. I got to do this. Like I said in my prayer this morning, this should be the dessert. You know, when we walk with God and, and all these people aren't here and you're alone in your house or walking down the street and you're just talking to the Lord. There's that intimacy. There's that relationship. Let me ask you this question. Are you here this morning looking for a change in your life? Are you tired? Do you feel like you're one of them little gerbils that just keep running and running and running and you, you, have, you get off of it in your same place? You haven't moved. Are you thirsty? Well, there's only one way to satisfy that thirst, and that's through Jesus Christ. Whether it's addiction issues or marital family issues or anger management or whatever, I tell people this. They come to me and say, you know, I've heard that, you know, you guys over there, you give pretty good counsel. And I say, right off the bat, I cannot divorce my counsel to you, whatever your issue is, from being born again. I'm sorry if you don't want that part of it, because what it's going to do is it's going to hurt my reputation. Without you moving closer to God, my counsel is not going to help you. And I'll give you some examples. How many of you seen that? Um, <laughs> how many are you familiar with that commercial for passages? Pax Prentice, that rehab, anybody? Man, that place is like a resort. You know, you, you get massaged, you get acupuncture, you, you sit by the water. Hey, man, I want to go there. You know what I'm saying? 
Sign me up. I'm addicted to ministry and I want the church to pay for it. <laughs> 60 grand a month. Right? And then after a few months, I'm going to be like, I'm still not well. I want to stay here. You know what I'm saying? Pastor Paul, you got the helm. We're all good. <laughs> what happens when you leave the resort? What happens when you come home? What happens when you're back with your old friends? in the old environment, your old temptations, and the Lord is not in it. I don't care what your issue is. If you're not born again of the Spirit, if you're not cleansed from the inside, if your conscience isn't cleansed, there's going to be no change in your life. It's going to be futile. And you're just going to fall right back into it. Now, there are many people that, that do well, but it's got to be an interior change. The new covenant is internal, which affects external actions. Even as believers, we can serve with a tude, you know, we, that, that old, we can serve with an attitude. I'm just doing this. I got to do this. I got to serve. Pastor Joe said, you know, I'm, I'm angry about this. Don't serve then. If, if you're really changed from the inside, it'll, it'll bubble out and flow from the, to the outside. Religion, though, tries to work from the outside in, and it doesn't work. It's got to go from the inside out. Now, two points that you need to understand before we move on, and, and I, I've been covering this you know, outside of the, the sermons and just talking to people, individuals, two things we have to understand that can really change our lives. The first one is love. And they have to be in this order. The other one can't come first. Love. To actually put down the force fields, put down the defenses, and some of us have it, and to receive of God's love. Yes, it is too good to be true. Yes, he loves you. But I did this, this, you don't, it's not confession time. He loves you anyway. That's why he sent his son. And if you were really perfect, Jesus wouldn't have had to die for you. So the fact that he did die for you means that he understands you got problems. So you receive of God's love. You're filled with God's love. And there's some of you this morning, I know this, in this place, that it hasn't hit you yet. It hasn't hit you. But keep reading his word. Keep praying. Let him fill you up with that love. And it starts to change you. You're a new creature in Christ. You have different ideas. You have new goals. Some of the, the difficulties and, and the rage and stuff starts to subside. The second thing, once you're filled with that love, is now you have, God sets you forth with his purpose. Okay? You're filled with his love. You're so grateful for what he's done uh, for you. And then you get to work alongside of him in his fields. You know, bringing people to Jesus, helping marriages to get better, you name it, whatever the issue is, discipling a young person who doesn't have a mom or a dad and feels kicked to the curb. Now you have a purpose in your life, bigger than better than making money and buying stuff for yourself and having all these toys in your yard. You have a purpose. You're working with the CEO of the universe, okay? So when you have that love and your purpose, you change. You have no choice but to change. It drives you. It, it pushes you. When you, that last ounce of energy that you lost, God still, he, it's supernatural. And you look back and you say, how the heck, I couldn't believe that. I came here tired and, you know, ministering to these people and man, my life is just different. I'm, I'm, I'm excited now. I'm not ready to take a nap anymore. Two points there, love and purpose. Verse 16, for where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament or a covenant or an agreement or a treaty is in force after men are dead since it has no power at all while the testator lives. So this change couldn't completely take place until the Lord died for our sins and rose again. So this is, we're looking at some legal jargon here. 
the testator, the person who uh, made the last will and testament, which was Jesus. He made a will before he died. He laid out all these promises, and they were posthumous promises after his death. And they weren't in force until he died. Now, my wife and I, we don't have a whole lot, but God has blessed us. We've accumulated things over time, you know, house, cars, all that kind of stuff. And our son knows, we only have one kid, that when we die, it's all his. But we have to die first. And he's very literal, so we have to tell him it's got to be natural causes. So... Luke 22, 20. Luke 22, 20. <laughs> now this is going to really open your eyes. We're taking communion today, and maybe if you don't understand it that well, you're going to understand it much better this, this morning. Luke 22, 20. Likewise, he, Jesus, also took the cup after supper, saying, This is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. This is the new agreement. This is the New, the new Testament. Father, Son, Holy Spirit are in agreement with this. Okay? In my blood which is shed for you, he pretty much signed his name in blood. Pretty amazing. So Christ paid the price for our sin, and after he died, the heavens opened up. Right? Grace through faith. First of all, I'm saved. I get everlasting life. That promise can never be revoked. We've been talking about this in Hebrews. Uh, I, get, I get filled with the Holy Spirit. A part of God is always with me. In my deep, deepest, darkest moments, now I have God with me everywhere I go. And I know he's there. And he helps me and he guides me and he counsels me and he's with me and he's upon me and he's inside of me. He's everywhere. I'm not alone again. Ma- mother and father can forsake me. People can kick me to the curb. Nobody in this world likes me. Don't have a friend in the world. But you know what? God is always with me. And, and there's so many more. I can do a whole sermon on this. But the testator had to die. Jesus had to die on the cross for this to happen. Verse 18. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law, almost all things are purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no remission. This brings us back to the Torah, Exodus 24, Exodus 29. It speaks about all these things that he's talking about. We're looking at atonement, which is a covering in the Old Testament, and also consecration, making holy. Now, the blood of the innocent had to be sprinkled on pretty much everything. The utensils, it had to go before in the Holy of Holies. Um, And what does this go to show us? Symbolically, it goes to show us that sin pretty much contaminated all of creation. When mankind sinned, this is the result of it. Now, you know what? We don't talk about sin every day. It's very unusual, actually, to have conversations about sin in our social lives. Why? Because we're used to it. Every day we get up, most of the thoughts we think, most of the things we do, we don't even realize it. We can sin, and there was even um, uh, sacrifices for unintentional sins. We just do it, and you don't even realize you're doing it. Offending God, offending other people. But when we become born again, we get a crash course in sin. 
we understand that this world is poised against God. Read Psalm 2 when we're done here. There's only a few verses. It's amazing. And God, it says, God laughs in derision. This is crazy. The whole world, the whole world system is poised against God and against the Son now and when he returns. They're actually going to wage war on him when he returns. Can you believe it? And think that they might even win. That's why now I was blind, but now I see has so much meaning in that song. You see, a baby born blind, groping around and, and growing and learning to feel around and the thing that the baby does, it's congenital. And we say, if we saw that, oh, we pity that baby. Well, the baby doesn't pity itself. It doesn't know that it's blind. But maybe at the age of 30 or 40, new technology comes out and they're able to correct the, the lack of vision. And all of a sudden, that person, that baby who, who grew up to be a mature adult, opens their eyes for the first time and they're, they're negotiating their sight. It could even cause them to become dizzy or overstimulated. For the first time, they, they open their eyes and they see the truth. They see the world. To them, the world was just dark, groping around by feel, by hearing, by different senses. Now the baby sees. So what I'm telling you is that when we're born again, we're born again of the Spirit, now all of a sudden our eyes are open. We're like, wow, now we see the world for what it truly is. But the person who's not born again just lives in the sinful world. And when you say it, it's a foreign concept to them. Verse 22 it says, according to the law, almost all things are purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. It brings me to Leviticus 17.11. He says, I have given you, I have given you, <laughs> I memorized it, and now I'm stumbling over it. I have given you the blood upon the altar to make atonement for your soul, souls. So there was blood atonement in Leviticus in the Old Testament. Now some today want to change that. Some today want to be under the Old Covenant, but but they don't want to follow the old covenant, which is a real problem. Now they're, they're nowhere. They're in no covenant. And a covenant is an agreement. So we can't change society's law. How do we think that we're going to change God's law? Imagine a person, the first thing, a person goes and they rob a bank and they take $10,000 in money bags and the police catch up to them and arrest them and they say, listen, I don't agree with New Jersey Penal Code 2C15 robbery. I don't agree with 2C20-3, okay? I have a problem with that. This is mine. I've changed the law. The officer's going to say, tell it to the judge. You can't change man's law, and man's law is illogical, so why do we think we can change God's laws? The second point is good works over bad works. Let's use our legal system again. The same person, right? He, he robs the bank. He's arrested. He goes before the judge. And he says to the judge, Judge, I robbed that money from my own bank. I've been in that bank over the last 20 years over a thousand times. I've taken my complimentary lollipop and I haven't stolen a red cent. So, judge, thousands of times I've done good things and I've obeyed the law. So today I robbed 10 grand. What's the big deal? You have to look at my past record and, and let me go because of this. What do you think the judge is going to say? 10 years or whatever, you know. God is the author of logic. His laws are logical. We don't change man's laws, or if we do, we know we're doing something wrong, but then we want to change God's laws. Can't do it, doesn't work. This is the way, the only way. 23, last few verses. 
Therefore it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ had not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. When Jesus spilled his blood, he didn't go into the holy of holies like we had on the screen two Sundays ago, where the priest would go once a year, every year, perpetually, continually. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another. He then would have to have suffered often since the foundation of the world. This is important. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Now, this is where we get into the, if we don't read this properly, or we never read this before, we might believe false doctrine. Some say, oh, Jesus kept dying on the cross. Look at this, look at the wording here. It is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Jesus shed his blood, didn't go into an earthly tabernacle. He went into the original. We keep hearing about the copy, the copy on earth. Jesus went right into the throne room of God and said, and, and the Father said, I accept it. That is a pure and perfect sacrifice. Only had to do it once. Now, there is a difference between atonement and removal. In John 1.29, it says, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I look at it as um, maybe if you have a, a blemish on your skin and it bothers you size of a dime and every time you go out you put something on it you put a, a covering or a base or a tinting agent because it bothers you for whatever reason and you do this over and over and over for years and then one day you go to the surgeon and he goes sure I'll take that off for you and he takes it off and he sutures it really nicely and he heals and you don't see it anymore see when you had that blemish you could cover it all you want it was always there still there in the Old Testament sin was covered but it was it was it was enough to, to assuage the, um, the justice of God, but it was still there in some respect. When Jesus came, he just removed it. And this is amazing. When we covered this last Sunday in verse 15, even those in the Old Testament who died, uh, and they died in faith in God and in the faith in the Messiah and God's promises, Jesus' sins covered those past too because they were only atoned for and covered. Isn't that amazing? And this is good. I was, I was talking to a young guy uh, recently this week, and we, you know, he's, he's very interested. He's, le he's learning about the things of God. And uh, I said, I know, you're, you're a show-me type person. I said, so let's get into the nuts and bolts. Some people are just like, oh, God loves me? That's awesome. I, I can dig that. I, I haven't been loved my whole life. You know, where do I sign up? What do I have to do? What do I have to believe? And others want to know all the details. Well, that's where we are in, in the Scripture. Once we get to chapter 11, it's, we're going to be coasting. There's going to be a lot more application. It's going to be a lot lighter, but we've got to get through these chapters to get there. The word once is used four times in a half a chapter. I've always been taught when the Bible repeats itself, pay attention to that wording. Once. Let's put this into perspective because... I don't know about you, but I mean, the older I get, I realized life is routine. Life is mundane repetition. Dumb things I got to do every day. 
So let's talk about how neat once would be if we applied it to our lives. Well, I'd like to just shower once and never be dirty and smelly again. How about you? I, can't, I don't know how many times I've showered and cleaned myself and my wife says, you're getting ripe, you better go take yourself a shower. Once would be great if I could just do that. It would be great if I could go to the gym once and be fit for life. That ain't happening. I call it a Sisyphean endeavor. The guy who kept rolling the stone up the hill and it would keep falling down. That's physical uh, activity. It would be great if we could discipline our children once and they don't repeat that bad behavior. Or brothers and sisters, how about this one? Wouldn't it be nice as Christians when God's trying to show us something and teach us a, a lesson that we would learn it once? I always tell people who are going through trials, I'm like, listen, I don't know the source of the trial. You, you would find that out in prayer. God will reveal that to you because there's different reasons why we go through trials. But I say this, if it's something that you're not learning and he wants you to learn and he's putting you through the crucible or the fire and you refuse to learn it, I guarantee you sometime in the near future, you're going to be going through that again. So why do we put ourselves through so much pain? I would like that for me to learn a lesson once that God teaches me and he never has to say anything to me anymore because I got it. It's not happening. So all these things we do over and over and over in our mundane lives. But Jesus died once. A million years can go by and you're in heaven. You still love me, God? I still love you. A billion years, God, you still love me? You don't have to ask me that question. I still love you. You know, it's for eternity. Now here's a, a doctrine that's unbiblical. And there's a name for it, which when you read Hebrews, it, it shows you that that doctrine doesn't exist. It's called transubstantiation. That's where you, a priest or religious leaders, it's in different religions, where they do a ceremony and they supposedly call Christ down to suffer again and to get into the bread and to get into the drink and we actually literally eat his flesh when we take communion. Not according to this. This does away with all that. You read the full Bible, you won't be duped by any doctrine out there that doesn't make any sense. Also, verse 27, man was appointed to die once and then the judgment. Don't say, Pastor Joe, I want to live like a heathen. I really enjoy it here. This is the temporal world. Um, hopefully in my next life, I'll get it, but I'm really having too much fun right now. You know, I'm having a great time. I really, really have time for God. This debunks reincarnation and going into other lives. We get, that's, why, that's why the Bible's so clear about that life is precious, because you only get one shot at it. You only get one life. It's a horrible thing when somebody dies. Man dies, men and women die once, and then the judgment. Either the great white throne judgment for rebelling against God and rejecting his way of salvation, or a wonderful judgment where he awards like the Olympics to things. Oh, man, as a believer, this is, you know, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Welcome into the joy of the Lord. Once. Verse 28, last one. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Now this word salvation, I believe it's sotera in the Greek, it has different meanings to it. But contextually, it means to rescue or to give safety, or to deliver. So Jesus Christ, in this time that this book was written, was going to appear two additional times. Once to uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, to come for his people in the rapture or the harpazo, whatever you want to call it. 
He calls his people up home before the judgments uh, are, are set forth, the book of Revelation on a rebellious and wicked world, and also his second coming. Now, the rapture doctrine is under attack because I always say, I look at a doctrine and I say to myself, why is this doctrine exist? Why do they keep pushing this? The rapture doctrine is under attack usually in Christianity that's more carnal. And I've seen it with uh, some groups that are maybe younger professionals who are living however they want. They're making all kinds of money and they like it here. So why the heck would I want God to come and rescue me from something I really like? I get to go to heaven and I get to really enjoy what the world has to offer. Now, I enjoy the world. I enjoy the outdoors. I enjoy nature. I enjoy my life. I enjoy when I'm feeling well and not sick. However, it's almost an idolization of your life here. We're passing through. We're sojourners. So the rapture is under attack in these groups because these people don't want the Lord to come for them. They want to continue doing what they're doing because they're having too much fun kind of having the best of both worlds. Some Christians don't believe they need to be rescued from this society. They're just fine living here. Some people want heaven, and that's it. I want heaven from God, and that's it. I want to die. I don't want to go to hell. I just want heaven, and that's where it stops. Everything else I want from here. Do you realize how double-minded that sounds? See, we have to look at the signs, the instructions, the commands in Scripture, decipher them, and obey them, because I'll tell you this. And I covered this at the Father and Son. I read, two days ago, I read the, the paper, I looked on the internet, and I read an article, and I took out Isaiah 17, 1 through 3, about the Damascus, Damascus strike and its surrounding regions. And Damascus has been a city for, it's a very ancient city, I think close to 5,000 years old. They've never been struck and demolished with their surrounding regions. So I get up in the morning, I read the article. The President of the United States wants to strike Damascus and all its surrounding regions. Now take politics out of this. I'm looking at the Bible. Damascus will be struck in all surrounding regions. Now, he backed off a little bit, but at some point that's going to happen. And you know that's one of the last dominoes to fall really before the Lord comes back for us. And Psalm 83 speaks about when that city is, is leveled and its surrounding regions, there's going to be some effect on Israel and others are going to march uh, south in that coalition to invade Israel. Are we in exciting times? If you don't understand what I'm saying, please see me afterwards and I'll explain it to you. This is Bible prophecy, things that are foretold for us to watch the signs, to pay attention, to realize that our rescue is coming soon. And I think that when we look at something like this and we get caught up in petty things in life and we see how close we are to the end times, hopefully we look in the mirror and not feel guilty, but just have a heart check and say, what am I really holding on to here that's really not worth it when I could be serving the Lord, when I could be receiving of his love, when I could be uh, expressing the purpose that he's desired for me, but I'm, I'm holding back. Do we realize that uh, across the ocean are brothers and sisters in Christ in Egypt? Uh, my last check was like 50 churches burned to the ground. Persecution, beatings in the street. Uh, constantly you see them with the coffins. Uh, people are dying uh, by incredible numbers. And you know what? We're going to spend eternity with them. Do we ever stop our vacations and our recreations and our educational pursuits? Do we ever stop and pray for our brothers and sisters in those countries that we will spend far more time there with them 
than we spend here with anybody? It's just a hard check, that's all. Hard questions. Were we ever once on fire for God, but so much has gotten in the way and distracted us, and we look back and we say, you know what, I used to be on fire for God, what happened? Jesus said, repent and go back and remember where you have fallen and do it over again. That's the beauty of Jesus. He's so merciful. Just stop. Repent. Change your direction. I'm here. Me. Remember? I'm the most important thing. What does this have to do with Hebrews 9? Everything. Rightly interpreting the signs. What has been done for me as a believer in the past, I really understand that. What awaits me in the future, because what was done for me in the past... And lastly, as a result, what should we be doing right now? What should we be focusing on as a result of those things? Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truths. We thank you for your love. And, uh, you know, we, we just want people to receive you. We just want people to receive of your love, to serve with joy to have a purpose and be joyful about their purpose. We all